seated. If you would bow with me in prayer and then we're going to open God's word together and look at first Corinthians four. But let's pray first. So we thank you for this glorious day that you've given us. We thank you for just uh, that creation screams of your majesty all around us. And we thank you for that wonderful gift. We pray this morning that as we gather together as your people, that you would just speak clearly to us through your word. We pray that your spirit would come that you would lead and guide us in all truth, that you would illuminate our hearts and our minds to the truth of your word, and that we would leave here having seen you more clearly and be greatly encouraged by who we are in Christ and what that means for us. We thank you. Thank you for all that you do for us. We pray all of it in Jesus' wonderful and precious name. Amen. Um, I've been thinking lately that uh, uh, more and more frequently that I'm getting old. Uh, Part of that is because... uh, my kids tell me regularly, Dad, you're, you're old, right? They just say that, like that's what kids do. They just kind of tell you how they think. Anybody over a certain age to your children, when they're my, my kids' age, they say you're old. But I've been noticing different things, different uh, places where I go, different things that I'm uh, seeing around me that just make me feel really old. One of those is that I went to a concert a couple of weeks ago, and uh, part of the things that make me feel old is I'm there and I'm going, do I really want to stay out this late? Like I'm asking that question. <laughs> And then I get there and it's like when I'm going to a concert, I ask the question like, is it actually seats or is it general admission? Do I have to stand the whole time or can I sit down some? And then one of the other things is I get there and it's just really loud. And I never remember doing that before, but going, man, this is so loud. Like, But one of the things that just really jumps out at me recently going to concerts, and it happened just the other day when I was at this one, uh, I'm standing there and we had seats, but everybody stands up as it starts. And the guy right in front of me is standing there and then all of a sudden he turns around and I'm thinking, what is this guy doing? And then he looks back and he pulls out his camera and he starts taking pictures of himself with the band behind him. And he's doing it over and over. And then he takes his phone down and he's, you know, like posting them and talking about it and all this stuff. And this went on like throughout the whole concert. And I wanted to tap him on the shoulder and be like, hey, you're missing it. Like it's right there. (laughs) Instead of like taking pictures over and over and doing that. And that's just kind of our culture. That's very much the, the selfie kind of culture. Or you don't even have to go to a concert to see it. Joanna and I the other day were at the... The collections in uh, coming, if you know that. It's like an outdoor mall. And she was in a store and I was outside waiting for it. And these three, probably like 13, 14 year old girls were walking down the sidewalk side by side. And they're all like on their phones as they're walking with their head down. And the, the one on the end hit the planner with her foot. And she went, you know, like that move. And the other two are, are still doing this. And she looks up and she looks around like, oh, no, what's what's going on? You know. And they don't even notice. They're still on their phones and they're like 15 up for, and then she just runs to catch up. And it's like I started thinking about that, that image and that picture. And you go, well, that's great. What does that have to do with anything? Well, I was thinking about as we've been talking about discipleship, as we've been talking about this idea of growing in relationship with God, our Father, and growing and loving other people around us. And as I watched those three little girls, you know, kind of doing their thing, not paying attention to anything else, this one almost wipes out. Thankfully, she didn't. She righted it and she was okay. But as I was watching that and thinking about it, it's like, man, that's such a picture of why we struggle with discipleship, that we are so oftentimes so taken with our own stuff. We don't even know what's going on around us, whether it's at the concert where the guy's so busy taking pictures of himself so he can show people what he's doing and where he is, or these little girls that don't even notice that her friend almost wiped out and bit it really hard right in front of them, but they don't even notice. And oftentimes we we see that and we can easily go, yeah, yeah, it's this generation and phones and technology. But the truth is it's every one of us, our own heart. 
But that's the way we often function. We often make everything all about me and what I'm doing and my stuff and all that along the way. And so what we've been saying over and over is discipleship. We want to grow in our relationship with the Father loving Him. But we also want to grow in our relationship with those within the body of Christ. But we also want to grow in our relationship with those in the world, those that don't yet know Jesus, that are asking questions. And, and so we could really simplify that because Jesus said it this way. All the commandments hold together on to love God and then love others. And sometimes we say the, the vertical relationship and the horizontal relationship, but love God and love others. And what I'm going to uh, uh, tell you this morning or I want us to think about together is that when we are so preoccupied with our own stuff, it makes it very hard to love God and love others the way God's called us to do that. And so that might seem really, really apparent and really obvious, right? It's hard to love and care and serve others when we're so immersed in our own stuff. But sometimes we need to hear that. I think that's partly my, my spiritual gift is to point out really, really obvious things, right? I mean, that's pretty obvious, but sometimes we need to see that, like that that's what it is, that when we become so about our own stuff that it makes it very hard to love others. And so I want us to think about this idea uh, when we miss that. We miss the way sometimes that we're being very self-focused or self-absorbed. I think there's hard issues at play there that make it to where we can miss that sometimes. It seems like an obvious statement, but yet I think we can miss that a lot of times. And so I want us to look at 1 Corinthians 4 together. And I think what the Apostle Paul says here is going to be helpful in a lot of areas considering this. And so what I want us to do at the beginning is just start with what Paul says He's showing us kind of the subtle ways we miss this. And it's really getting to the heart issue of why we become so about our own stuff. Why we become so self-absorbed or self-conscious or self-focused. And so that's where I want us to start. What's he telling us about kind of our heart condition? Secondly, I want us to look at how Paul goes about what he does. And he's going to tell us a couple things about how he goes about what he's doing. And I would submit to you that outside of maybe Jesus himself that Paul might be the greatest disciple maker who's ever lived. And so we see Paul and the way he operates and the way he goes and some of the things he tells us that are very, very helpful to help us get outside of that uh, making it all about myself. But then lastly, he's going to show us very clearly, big picture, how we can get to where Paul is, how we begin to function that way. And so those are the kind of the three things I want us to look at. But let's just start with kind of what Paul says the problem is here. And so just setting big picture scene as we're looking at this, um, he says, uh, as Luke read to us just a second ago in verse 21 and 22, he says, so let no one boast in men for all things of your, are, are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, Cephas is another name for Peter, or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. And so Paul's saying this over and over in First Corinthians and just setting the scene for you, what's going on? In this letter, as Paul helped uh, plant this church, he went there, he preached the gospel, it took hold, people started coming to faith, they start living this out together, and then he moved on to do, as his, was his uh, way of going about it, he moves on to plant another church and continue to do that. And as he does, this church starts to function and have all kinds of problems and be really divided and struggling. And what he's hinting at here is people were starting to get their identity and their worth by saying, I'm with Paul. And some would go, no, no, I'm not with Paul. I'm with Apollos. And some goes, no, no, no. The one that brought me to Christ or helped show me is, is Cephas. And I'm with Cephas. And they started to become very divided in all these things. 
and they were getting their identity and their worth from all these other areas. And I'd submit to you when we begin to do that, we're actually being very self-focused. I'm I'm making uh, who I am about who I know and what that looks like. And I'm telling that. And Paul's going, don't do that. And he says that over and over in 1 Corinthians 1, 2, and 3. He's saying that over and over. It's not about me, and it's not about Apollos. It's not this. It's God's power. And he's saying that over and over and over. And then he gets to this verse in chapter 4, verse 6. And I want you to look there with me, because that's kind of where we're going to get to this heart of what he's talking about. He says, I've applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. And he tells us, he says, I don't want you to be puffed up. And he uses a very specific word. He says, you're, you're against each other. And the reason that you're not united and you're having all these problems is you've become puffed up. And so he uses a very specific word, a very specific meaning there. It has to do with arrogance and pride. But Paul uses a word that really gets to this idea of being puffed up. Pretty much all, I was looking at the different translations, pretty much everybody puts it puffed up, and there's a reason why. And I want you to think about what happens when something's swollen or bigger than a size it was meant to be. And just think about if you get injured and something swells up. It's usually because there's something wrong. It's puffing up for a reason that there's something wrong. I was thinking maybe a better example of this is if you've ever seen animals that do this. Right? Have you ever seen a puffer fish? Do you know what that is? Have you ever seen those fish before? They're like a little cute little fish and then all of a sudden they go when they get like twice the size, three times the size. And it's a defense mechanism that they do. Or uh, maybe more common is like a porcupine. Right? If, they're, if they're threatened, they try to get bigger than they are. Or, or even your cat does that at different times. If you have a cat, they do that. Their hair stands up. We do that, and I think what Paul's getting at and what he's talking about is this idea of when we're, we're bigger than we should be, there's something wrong. It's not a good thing, it's a bad thing. And so what he's talking about, this idea of being puffed up, big, big picture, theologically speaking, is this idea that you were never made to be the very center of your life. Right? The, the world was not created to orbit around you. Right? God created us to share in the joy that he has in and of himself And we were made to orbit around God. We were made to identify ourselves by who God is. Right? That's why Jesus would say, you can summarize all the commandments and love God and love people. And so when we make ourselves the center of our affection, we make the selves the center of our world, when we decide to have everything orbit around us, suddenly we're in a space that we cannot occupy. Or if we try to, it's going to be problems. Right? What we're doing is we're trying to fill up something that we can't fill up. And so this idea of puffing up is kind of like I'm now in this place and I'm uncomfortable being in this place because I'm I'm out of sorts in a way. And so now I'm going to try to puff myself up to be something that I'm not. Do you follow that idea? And so that's kind of what he's getting at, that they're puffing themselves up and they're trying to say, no, 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 I'm good and I'm valuable and I'm this because I'm with Paul. And he's going, that's crazy. Don't do that. Right. Because I want you to think about when we start to do and act that way, instead of orbiting around God, we're making ourselves the center and then we're trying to put things in place to fill ourselves up. And so we do it in all different ways all the time. We do it in what we're good at. We do it in different ways. Uh, probably one of the best examples I can think of is if you go on Facebook and look at people's Facebook pages. They're just a bunch of puffed up people who are trying to make themselves look better than they actually are. Right. If Facebook is how it really is, then pretty much every friend I have is always on vacation 
and their kids are always getting along and they're always doing all sorts of interesting things, right? I've yet to see anybody on Facebook, correct me if I'm wrong, if you know somebody that takes pictures of themselves laying on the couch in their underwear like eating ice cream. (laughs) I've not seen that one yet. It might be there. But we don't do that because we kind of puff ourselves up to be, hey, look at me, look at how good I am, look at what I'm doing, look what's out there. And and so we kind of put on this this front of what we're about and and how we're good at it and those kind of things. And so Paul says, don't do that. And I want you to make the connection with discipleship, why this brings struggles in that. We've been saying we're to love God and to love people. But if I'm so preoccupied with putting on a face to make you think I've got it all together, then I don't have time to love God and love other people because I'm so busy, so self-absorbed with what's going on with me. And we can so easily slip into that, and it makes all the things that we've been talking about with discipleship very, very hard. For example, uh, a couple of weeks ago we talked about the importance of believers wanting to do the out portion, going to the world and proclaiming who God is. We want to share our faith. We want to love and care and serve people who want to show people what God's like in the way that we care for them and spend time with them. But then we also want to open our mouth and proclaim who God is, right? That idea of evangel announcing this is who God is and what he's done. And I've talked to several people over the last couple of weeks where suddenly we go, I don't like that. It's kind of scary. I'm not sure about that. I wouldn't know what to say. I'm not sure what that'd be like. But as you press a little deeper and you ask those questions, what comes to the surface is, I don't really like that and I don't want to do that because of what people might think of me. I might be rejected. Or if I open my mouth and I share my faith with my neighbor, they might go, man, that's one of those crazy Jesus people. Or he's a Bible thumper or he's whatever, or whatever it might be if I start to do that. And so oftentimes we don't do that. And the reason that we don't do that, not always, but from what people have told me even the last couple of weeks, the reasons is I'm afraid of what people will think of me. I want you to think about that. I'm becoming very self-conscious because of what you're going to think of me. And so I don't think I'll do that. And we do that in all different ways. Oh, no, I don't want I don't want you to 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 look at me in a bad way. So I'll just uh, avoid that altogether. Or or we think of uh, what we talked about uh, the week after that, being committed to a local body in a church and walking out together and encouraging one another, holding each other accountable Uh, bearing one another's burdens, all those things that we talked about. God calls us to walk out our faith in that way. And that's an integral part of growing in discipleship, growing in obedience to Jesus in every area of our life. We've got to be doing that. But when we start to think about doing that, the struggle that comes with that is if I start to do that, you're going to know all my mess. And you're going to know what I'm actually like. And the deeper we go with fewer and fewer, the harder it gets, because then it's like, oh, no, what are you going to think of me? You might think what, you know, if I keep you at arm's distance, you might go, I got it. I can fake it enough. I can puff myself up enough to make you think, oh, he's got it all together. But then as we go deeper into relationship, then it's like, oh, no, you might actually find out I don't have it all together. And so it's a hindrance in so many ways. But I want you to think about when we do that, I don't want to let you in. Because if I let you in, you'll think this of me. That's a very self-absorbed, kind of self-centered, I don't want to do this because of what you will think of me. You understand? How that so easily, how it so subtly slips into everything we do. And so what we do oftentimes is we decide to keep everybody at arm's distance. And I'll keep putting on this front. 
and I'll keep doing this this way. But what happens is when you're puffed up all the time, you're putting on a face, you're always very close to being deflated. Right? When, you're, when you're puffed up past what you actually are, you can only keep that for so long. It's actually kind of like sucking in your gut. <gasps> right? You ever do that? You get home and it's like, oh, now I can, right? You try to keep it in for a certain amount of time, but then it's like, oh, I can't do it anymore, right? It's the same thing when we're putting on this front. And so you put on a front that, hey, I'm I'm a really good parent and my kids are great. Let me show you pictures of them. And I'm going to do that. And then they come running in and they punch each other in the face and they're rolling on the floor. And it's like, oh, no, right? My identity was my children. And then they make this mistake. And then it's like, now what do I do? Right? I've quickly become deflated. It became this area of pride or being puffed up or look at me. And then all of a sudden, or you become a really, really successful businessman. And you go through your whole life being really successful. And then the day comes, you retire. And all the people that looked up to you and all the people that came to you and asked you questions, they're like, well, he's retired now. We've moved on. And you suddenly go, well, wait a second. I still know some things. And I, you want people to still come to you. Or you have a job and you're really good at it and you're going along and they decide to downsize and you get laid off. And so that's your identity and that's your thing. And then all of a sudden it just gets shot down. And so when we're puffed up, we're actually always very close to being uh, just deflated in so many ways. And it's so hard to live that way. And when we live that way and we continue to kind of fake that as we go, it makes it very hard to really love other people because you want to be around people who will constantly give you compliments and say, yeah, yeah, you're doing great and you're doing whatever. And so it makes it very difficult to actually love people because you end up wanting to use them all the time. I want you to tell me how good I am and I I don't want you to know any of the bad stuff. I just want you to tell me how great and continue to affirm me. And it's exhausting. It's really, really hard. And so Paul says, don't do that. This puffed up, that doesn't work. And so Paul actually shows you a different way to live. Look at what he says. Uh, we'll start in verse 1 of chapter 4. He says, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Remember the context. They're wanting to make Paul and Apollos and Cephas be like, hey, that's where we get our identity. And he goes, don't look at us that way. Right? Don't make us that. And then he says, verse 2, moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful He said, so my job is just to be faithful and to continue to tell you what God says. But then look at what he says, verse three. But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. And so Paul says, the way I operate and the way I go about these things is I'm not going to get my identity based on what you think of me. It's a very small thing that you would judge me or any human court. He goes, so I'm not going to rise and fall with the compliment you give me or the compliment you don't give me. I'm just not going to live that way. He says, I'm not going to do that. In fact, in our culture, we could take that part of of verse three, the first half of it, and stick that on a T-shirt and people would love that. Right. Our culture, that would be like gold. We live in a very relativistic culture. And so the idea that you could say, I just need to be in touch with who I am and it doesn't matter with what you say. I'm going to live my life the way I'm going to live it and you can't say anything about it. And what you say, you can't judge me and it doesn't matter and I don't care. And people go, yes, absolutely, that's right. That's the key. You need to love yourself and continue to do those things and go forward. And that's what our culture would say. And so Paul says, I'm not going to be judged by you. And there's some there's some truth in that. You or any human court, it means very little. But then look at the very next thing he says. 
In fact, this is the second half of three. In fact, I do not even judge myself. Oh, wait, that doesn't work. Right. We want it to be in our culture that I decide who I am and then I just live that out and be true to myself and no one can judge me. And Paul says, yeah, but I don't even judge myself. It's not based on what I think either. He cuts that off. He says, it's not what you think of me and it's not even what I think of me. And then look at what he says at the beginning of four. For I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not thereby acquitted. He says, even when my conscience is clear, it's still not all about me and what I believe or what I feel about it. Right? That's, that's where our culture get real upset. Right? It's not what you think. It's not what I think. It's not even if my conscience is clear and I think I'm doing the right thing, that that's the way I operate. And he says both. He goes to both sides of that. And he says, that's the way I live. I go through this not worried about you or me or my conscience. And I want you to think for just a second how wonderful it would be to actually be able to live that way. If you actually walked out like that. Think about just a relationship with your children. I was thinking about this today. There's different times where I give in and I don't follow through like I should because it's going to really upset my kids. You ever do that? Maybe I'm the only one, but they go, can I just have more candy? And it's like, ah, all right, go for it. You know, when I really need to say, no, you don't need more candy. And sometimes the reason I do that is I want them to be happy. I know what's best for them. They don't need more candy, but I give it to them because it's like, well, okay, then they'll be happy. And so we do that oftentimes with one another in discipleship or we don't do it in discipleship. I see something in your life that God calls us to and we're walking together and I need to speak truth into that. But you might get upset at me, so I won't do that. And Paul says, I don't operate that way. This is part of the reason why Paul was one of the greatest disciple makers ever. He doesn't go, I'm going to get my identity by what you think of me. It means very little. And I'm not even going to do it based on what I think. And I'm not acquitted by my conscience. And so he starts to say that. But I want you to think about just in your day-to-day life, wouldn't that be wonderful not to be so caught up in what everybody thinks? Just walking out what God calls you to? Because that's what he says. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. He doesn't say that the the goal here is to be well-liked by everyone. He says it's to be faithful and continue to do that. And So how do you get there? It would be wonderful to do that. To be able to operate that way. So how do you ever get there? Well, look at what he says. Verse 4 at the end. Right? He says, I do not even judge myself three. Then verse 4. For I'm not aware of anything against myself. But I'm not thereby acquitted. That word literally is justified. I'm not uh, good because of what I think about it. And then he says, but it is the Lord who judges me. Ah, of course. Right? Where else did you think it would go? It's not by what you judge or what I judge or my conscience, but it's what God thinks. They go, yeah, okay. So we're going to just have uh, what God says and we're just going to be faithful to that. And that's how we do it. And that's how we go forward. And so instead of worried about what everybody else says or even what I think sometimes, I'm going to hold fast to what God says. That's what he's saying. And so the, the part of that is that's hard is sometimes our feelings contradict what God's word says. And so Paul says, when that's the case, you hold to what God's word says instead of how you feel about it or even what your conscience says about it. 
Our conscience can be a very uh, tricky thing. The heart is deceitful above all things. A clear conscience doesn't mean you're right. Now, as a believer in the spirit, a lot of times God's going to come and convict you of things that are wrong, but it doesn't mean necessarily we operate on our feelings. And so Paul says it will be the Lord who judges me. But then look at what he says in verse five. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. And so it's like, not what you say, not what I say, not what my conscience says, but the Lord is the one that judges me. It's like, okay, we're going to trust in God. But then you read verse 5 and suddenly it's horribly terrifying. God's going to judge you. And when he comes and you stand before him, he's going to bring all things that are hidden to light. He's going to bring every bit of it out. And he's going to disclose the purposes of the heart. Not only is anything you've ever done going to come to light, he's actually going to bring to light why you did what you did. So that whole idea of puffing yourself up and making yourself look good. And then he says, but God's going to be the one that judges you and it's all going to be laid out. And suddenly it's like, oh, right? It sounded good. Not you, not me, not conscience. It's God. But then, oh, everything's going to get laid out. How in the world is that good? How in the world can that help? Well, he says in verse 4, I'm not hereby acquitted by my conscience. It's the Lord who judges me. I'm going to be acquitted by what God says, not what I say. And the word Paul uses there is justified. Same word he uses over and over throughout the New Testament. 30 plus times he uses this word. To be justified. To be set right. To be good before God. And he says, I'm not going to be acquitted by what you think or what I think or my conscience thinks, but what God says. And then he says he's going to lay all these things to bear. So how does that work? Well, Paul tells us if we read through the New Testament real clearly, he actually tells us right here, but he says it very clearly in Romans. He says no one will ever be justified in God's sight by what you do, by your works. You can't do it. Right. Why he's saying I'm not going to rely on what I think. Or what my conscience says, because I cannot justify myself by what I do in my life. I will never do enough. I can't do it. But then he tells you how you can be justified. He says you can be justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Who God put forward as propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. You can be justified and the way that you're justified is by what Jesus does for you, not what you do. You cling in faith that Christ alone would come and extend grace to you and allow you to be justified by what he does on your behalf. And so what Paul says, knowing all that, it's the same thing he really even says right here. Like he gets down uh, to the end and in verse seven, right? He says, uh, verse seven, for who sees anything different in you? What did you have that you did not receive? And if you received it, then why do you boast as you did not receive it? Do you understand what he's saying? When you start to make your identity on the things you do and all this stuff, you've forgotten that you're standing before God is saved by grace and what Jesus has done and nothing else. The church in Corinth had forgotten that and they'd made it all about, well, I'm with Paul and I'm with Apollos and I'm with all this. And he's going, don't function that way. That's not how it works. You're justified by grace through what Christ does and nothing else. And I want you to think about how this transforms 
our discipleship and the way we respond to one another and the way we go and the way we speak and the way we do all these things. We can continue to puff ourselves up and go, oh, no, what if people find out what I'm really like? So I'm going to put on the show so you never really see me. Paul says, I'm not playing that game. It doesn't matter what you think. And it doesn't matter what I think. And it doesn't even matter what my conscience says in this because I'm justified by faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone. No matter when I make mistakes or when you find out or when you see how I messed up or any of those things, I am complete and perfect in God's sight. And it's because of what Jesus has done and nothing else. And so that's why Paul says, I can go and proclaim and say and do these things. And I'm good with if you don't like it. It's all Christ and nothing else. Paul will say that over and over. I proclaim Christ crucified and the power of the Spirit, and that's all I got. He actually says that at the beginning of 1 Corinthians. I came to you, and I wasn't that good of a speaker, and I was all messed up, and I was, I was, uh, my voice is quivering and all these things, and God did this work because God does what he does, and I'm going to rest in that. And so when we go through life going, oh, no, What if they find out about this and puff myself up? I don't want you to see this and I don't want you to see that. We need to see more clearly the gospel and how it comes to bear in our life. It's okay if you see that. Guess what? If you get to know me at all, you're going to see that I make all kinds of mistakes every day. Pretty much every day. (laughs) Multiple times a day. And all I've got is to come back to that it's all Jesus and what he's done. And so when I am going to share my faith with somebody and they might go, what a crazy guy. I can't believe he does that. I think all my neighbors think I'm crazy anyway because I walk around doing my sermon in my neighborhood. There's that crazy guy reading as he walks again. But I'm going to say those things and look for those opportunities. And I'm, I'm fine in that because I know who I am in Christ. And there's times I'm going to feel really uncomfortable and I'm going to feel awkward and I'm going to get more self-conscious. And then I'm going to come back that I'm accepted and loved completely and totally by the only one that matters. And that's Jesus and what he's done. And it will transform the way that we operate towards one another to love God and to love people. If we are rooted and grounded in the gospel, we can actually do that together. We can admit our faults. And then speak the truth of who we are in Jesus and encourage one another in that and rest in that. See, when we start to get in these ways where we go, oh, no, if you knew this, if you knew that, or I don't want you to see these things. What God says is, I love you completely and totally in every way. It is going to be disclosed. It is going to come to light. And guess what? He knows it already. He says, not only do I know it already, I've already paid for it already. And now I've given you Christ's righteousness. You are perfect in my sight because of what Jesus has done. And you don't have to hide anything. And so when we start to talk about our conscience being clear and bearing witness, he also says, then I'm going to come in and I'm going to remake you to where you're going to want to do these things. And I'm going to continue to remake you and do this and make you into this new creation. And you don't have to walk around puffed up and scared and all those things. In fact, what he says, instead of being puffed up, I'm going to fill you up with something that's real. And so when you get exposed, you don't get deflated because you're filled up with who God is, Christ in you, being formed in you. And you don't have to live that way. It's a glorious good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and what he's done.
And so when we talk about loving God and loving others, if we are not rooted and grounded in our identity in Jesus, this won't work. We'll just be really religious people that like to point out one another's faults. Nobody wants that. The last thing the world needs is religious people who like to needle each other. But people who are formed in Christ together that continue to point to how we're accepted and loved completely and totally by what Jesus has done is beautiful and glorious. And guess what happens? We no longer are the sinner. God is the sinner and what he's done in Christ is the sinner. And we get to celebrate that together in all things. And so we're closing this week, this series on discipleship. And that's the key to all of it. That would be rooted and grounded in who we are in Jesus. None of the other things will work if we're not always coming back to that. And so let's pray. God, we thank you for the glorious good news of the gospel. That all the ways that we often hide and pretend and try to put on a face that you know the truth, you know every bit of who we are. That despite our faults and mistakes that you came and you died for us and all we can say is thank you. That you loved us yet while we were sinners. That you would lay down your life for us and that we truly can be filled with who you are. We thank you for that truth. I pray that you would help us to press into that more and more fully each and every day with one another. That we would speak that truth to each other, pointing each other back to Jesus each and every day. That we would be so filled with the truth of who we are in you that we would look for opportunities to speak that to those around us that don't yet know Jesus, that are desperately searching, that are desperately puffing themselves up to try to be something they can never be but only be found in you. Please give us the, the uh, excitement and the boldness and the humility to do that. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.